Hello, hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the first episode of my podcast. No, current situation. <laughs> I thought that it would be a great idea to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. To, well, I was up from about 2 o'clock and I was just pretty much having conversations with myself. And then I thought, why not start working on my first episode? So two hours later, here we are. What I recognize though is that this podcast may be influencing bad behaviors already because first of all, I'm not a drinker. I do not partake in consuming like heavy alcoholic beverages and I'm up and because I have like this really raspy voice in the morning, well, throughout the entire day. I've decided that maybe it would be a good idea to relax my vocal cords by introducing them to some <laughs> to some vodka. So I am like sipping on a little bit of vodka as well. But anyways, welcome to our very first episode. And uh, today's episode is brought to you in partnership. Sponsorship, yes guys, on our very, very first episode, we have a sponsor. Of course, the sponsor is me. <laughs> Which reminds me, guys, if you would like to sponsor this little... I almost just now said little instead of little. And don't get me wrong, I have no issues with persons who pronounce their TTs as DDs. I am by no means a language police. (laughs) But what what I believe, though, is it would be very pretentious of me to pronounce little in that kind of way. The thing is, I am very, 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 very Jamaican. And if you know me, like pretty much anyone who does know me, you know that I speak Jamaican exclusively all day. But pretty much all day, every day. And when I do decide to use English, I try as best as possible to spell words as the British would. And I try to pronounce the words using their pronunciations. I pretty much love to get my oppression directly from the source. Yes. <laughs> Your girl does not like that dibby dibby watered down kind of oppression. She likes oppression directly from the source. So hey Queen Elizabeth, if by chance you're listening from anywhere in the world, yes, the Queen is the head of state in Jamaica, which I have an issue with and I have been toying about toying with the idea of doing an episode on that, but I guess we will see in the future if I do decide to do an episode on on that. Now I know I have been babbling on for quite some time now, and I promise you, I promise you that I will be getting to this week's episode shortly. But first, there are a few things that I would like us to go over. And I think these things are really important for us to discuss in a bid to get to know each other. And possibly I can provide a bit of insight into my personality before I audaciously introduce my voice to your eardrums. The other thing that I would that I think is very important for us to discuss is for us to know each other's names or at least to know the names of the persons 
who we're listening to and how to pronounce them correctly. Now, my name is Raymania. 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 In the past, I have allowed persons to mispronounce my name and I've treated it like a null issue. I now see the errors in my ways and I am pretty much on a journey, call it a quiz, to correct these. Or to correct this rather. For a lot of persons, their names are carved out of love and in love. And yes, I know what a lot of you may be thinking. But Raymania, I've heard some names before and those names could not have come from a place of love. And to that I will say, there are a lot of persons who love differently. (laughs) But in all seriousness though, throughout our lives, a lot of us will meet thousands of persons. And I think there's no greater level of appreciation to show someone than to remember their names and to pronounce them correctly. With that said, I would like to graciously extend a fuck you to other persons who have mispronounced my names over my name over the years and have treated it like a null issue. I'd also like to reserve a few fuck yous for myself as well for not correcting them on every occasion that they have mispronounced my name. Names matter. Names matter. Because their owners matter. So the next time you come across an ethnic name or a name that just sounds unfamiliar to you, spend some time, invest energy in learning how to correctly pronounce people's names. And I was thinking about doing this as an entire episode all its own, which is why I don't want to discuss this too much right now, but I guess I will see how that goes, how, how this goes, goes on and whether or not I really want to have this discussion. But names really just matter, full stop, period. There's no big discussion to be had about learning how to correctly pronounce the names of persons who you value. Because their names matter. And why do they matter? Because these persons matter. You know, a a lot of times we don't have conversations about how significant names are to individuals and the families that they belong to, the history that these names carry for these people. I just think it's unfair for persons to call themselves Pan-Africanese or to discuss cultural erosion all while making light of incorrectly pronouncing people's names. What always escapes me is how people don't realize how similar this is to, you remember that scene from that famous movie where the guy was asked his name and he would say his name over and over and over and at the end the white man said just gave him a name for me this is what I hear every single time persons refuse to pronounce my name correctly when I tell you what my name is and I repeatedly tell you what my name is and you decide to call me something differently 
something different rather. What I hear you calling me is Toby. And no, there's nothing at all wrong with the name Toby. I think it's a really lovely name. I've met persons who, I've met a lot of Tobys and it's not a discussion about persons, personalities or anything like that, but it's a really lovely name. The issue is, it's just not my name. If you like what we're doing over here and would like to contribute to our efforts, whether through sponsorship or just personal emails, you can definitely reach out to us at wabada.remania at gmail.com. We are also open to partnerships and collaborations. You can also follow this conversation on your various social media platforms using the hashtag WBR or WBRE1 specifically for this episode. Now on to this week's episode. CSOs and NGOs, gatekeepers or not. Before we begin though, a disclaimer. This is by no means a gossip podcast, so advanced apologies if that is what you are expecting. <laughs> we do not support any form of messiness over in these parts. But in all seriousness though, this was a very important conversation to have and I always knew that it would feature as a topic. I just didn't know when. The thing is, I already have quite a few topics that I will be discussing and just thought, why not this? Especially since an issue around this is what really really inspired me to finally start a podcast. Interestingly enough, this was not the first idea for a podcast I had for a very long time and even now I have had ambitions of winning two Nobel Prizes in a specific field. Why two and why Nobel is a discussion for another day. But what I can remember is me being comforted by the idea that I would have been the first black woman to win the award in that specific field. Yes, I know I'm going off on a tangent again and just bear with me. It will all make sense at the end. Well, hopefully. I remember interrogating what kind of honor comes from being the first in this day and age and then saw how the focus is shifted from your achievement to you being the first to achieve and I had an issue with this. I then started to notice how questions that were asked of persons who have been minoritized well, the kinds of questions that would be asked of persons who would have been awarded things and are minoritized. And I was uncomfortable, really just uncomfortable. And just felt like I could have done a much better job and I could have asked better questions. Presumptuous? <laughs> Maybe. But born out of this was my first podcast. The theme would have been not minoritizing minorities. It would have been me asking creatives questions about their um, the work that they're doing, but the questions that I could ask could only be questions that I would ask a cishet white male, white man. So none of that 
how does it feel to be the first or asking them intimate, to intimately discuss their traumatic experiences or the traumatic experiences I believe they have had. Suffice to say, the budget would not allow for this. And so we're here. <laughs> but back to this podcast, which I love equally as much. To start, I have pretty much always been a part of NGOs and CSO spaces. For anyone who has ever accessed these spaces, you will know that these organizations claim to vehemently oppose gatekeeping. What I later found out is that a lot of these persons are gatekeepers themselves. Weird? They aren't really interested in granting access to anyone who does not openly accept admission to their amen choir. I remember seeing my friend, and I'm hoping I can call her a friend because I think she's a friend, tweeting on Twitter, the future will not be NGO. And she is correct. We often take for granted the fact that a lot of these organizations regulate progress in the same way other arms of the society does. There's no real similarity between the highest paid individuals and the people they serve. And in many cases, when they do allow community members to gain access to these spaces, the jobs that are given to them can't afford them any real financial security. In many instances, these community members are just one paycheck away from participating in the said surveys that they previously administered. And sometimes the gatekeeping is so overt. Imagine NGOs and CSOs were created to address issues, government, should address but refuse to address and the capitalist nature of businesses will not allow them to address and then they NGOs and CSOs staff their organizations in the same way these businesses and public sector does I cannot tell you how many times I have I have seen job postings require 10 years of experience and a degree for persons to identify and find solutions to problems faced by people within a particular group. And you know what this means? These requirements in a lot of cases make it next to impossible for persons within these communities to access these resources afforded to them by way of this job. Is this gatekeeping? I know of spaces where one bad experience could mean you are blacklisted and your name becomes the main feature of a song which states who should not be worked with. Is this gatekeeping? But I know what you may be thinking and no, I am no negative Nancy. I always say doing problematic things does not necessarily mean you are a bad person. But refusing to acknowledge that your behavior is may mean you are. With that said, in 2015 to 2016, I think it was 2015, 2016 or 2014, 2015, somewhere around that time, I was a part of this youth program. And for what 
for what it's worth, that was a really great program. Absent the way persons were assumed, persons who were assumed to not have a degree were treated. Absent that, it was a really great program. A real nine out of 10. I mean like a solid A in the alphabet grading scheme. I remember there being so many different parts and it was really just a, a great program. The kind of program that I believe should be replicated throughout society. Like I think a lot of places, countries, and it should be like a national program, regional program. I think this is the kind of program that can be replicated and can like be very rewarding to persons who participate. Anyways, an internship was a feature of the program. I really hate that term, internship, and we may have a discussion about it in the future. But I remember the first day getting to the workplace for my internship and feeling some level of comfort. You know, like this is the kind of work workspace that every workplace should model. That kind of comfort. <laughs> Unfortunately, my excitement was very short-lived. At first, it started out with the small, inverted comma, jokes about the persons who they would be serving because apparently the work that they do absolves them from any judgment. And so they were allowed to say anything about the persons who they were serving because they were serving. Then it got to a project for the youth the youth program that I was a part of. So the youth pro Remember I said that there are like different sections of the program and so one section was the internship and then another section was for me to do a project and I would need to collaborate with some other organization to, to do the project and I will get into this shortly. It got to a place where I so I wasn't a part of I, I did not live on campus, nor have I ever been a part of an army, so I never understood initiation culture. But what I will say though is that I was reminded of my rank on a daily basis. <laughs> I can look back at it now and laugh, but it was a really interesting time and we will discuss this further, but first let us just go and try to make some money. Wabarimania is a weekly podcast published every Sunday at 7 p.m. You can listen to us on all your major platforms. The background music you are hearing are out and about and happy and fun. The info on where you can find both are in our description. If you want to sponsor, collab, or work with us on a partnership, send us an email to wabarimania at gmail.com. This info is also in the description. Now back to the discussion. For my project, I wanted to do something big and impactful, not just provide lip service. And I thought, why not host the government officials as an audience? We were trying to discuss this for weeks, 
but I remember the executive director had left and I think she went to South Africa for a conference and so I was told that we would have to wait until she got back. Spoiler alert, even when she was back she was not a part of the meeting. We eventually started to work on the project and I would constantly be asked to make amendments to what was previously agreed to and I had no issue with this. You see, I fancy myself a gymnast, so I'm pretty flexible. The issue I had was that we had one final meeting where we invited the person in charge of the youth project. We sat there for maybe like 24 hours, well, an entire day, it wasn't 24 hours, but entire work day, and finally decided on how to move forward. Next day, I got to work and I was told that we would not be doing my project. And because, hey, I'm a gymnast, I thought, okay, cool, and contacted the youth project organizers and they were livid. And rightly so, imagine agreeing to something the day before and then not getting a call from the organization to explain why they changed their mind. In fact, the only explanation I got, and this is verbatim, I have been doing this for a long time. I know what will work and this will not work. This is not me asking. We are not doing this and that is final. You're not going to have our organization engage in ministry officials for the first time on something that will fail, end quote. So the organization of the youth program just decided to fund the entire thing and the meeting happened. It went really well, if I say so myself. And it took place maybe a week after my internship or maybe two weeks after. But throughout this entire time, like during my internship, I needed to do some official business. And in Jamaica, we have a group of people called Justices of the Peace, and they are, they are afforded a few responsibilities, one of which is to validate official documents. The place where I was interning had one such person, and she was helping me throughout the process. A few weeks after my internship ended, I went back to her for her to sign my final document. This lady <laughs> said she was no longer comfortable signing the document and cited my having someone else deliver an issue. Which was really interesting and this should have never been an issue because there are provisions which would allow someone to drop the documents off. So. I was a bit confused and about why she would have an issue now when she never had an issue prior and she had signed other documents before this. But I said nothing and I left. As you would have it though, and I mean this universe is a very interesting place. As soon as I had left the building, I received a call from someone who has a high-ranking position in another, C um, in another CSO. And they were asking what I, what had I done. At this point, I was 
confused i was really confused because i thought that i i did not know what i had done so i was trying to figure it out with them and so they were explaining to me that they were in a meeting space and the persons who i interned with were pretty much criticizing me and talking and bad talking me in the in the space and so they were explaining to me that you need to be very careful about how you engage with people because these people are able to like restrict your your ability to like access spaces and to like gain employment in in, in particular spaces because these people know a lot of persons if i'm being honest though i can understand how someone would be upset if they were like if they were a part of and they were a part of the planning for an event and then they were not invited to the event what i cannot understand though is why would anyone be upset about not being invited to an event that would fail like i'm not sure if they would want to be out if them wanting to attend was for them to pretty much show that they were correct and to witness the the thing failing which was very confusing to me but anyways to each his own i would not want to attend something that i know would not work out i'm not sure if anybody else likes those kind of kinds of spaces but i i would not want to be a part of it i because i, I can't understand why persons would be upset about not being invited to a meeting they had helped to plan i in some ways tried to reach out and extend an olive branch to these people and so i submitted or sent my final report to them and asked if they could provide me with any feedback i think maybe one person responded without received is this gatekeeping no i'm not saying that anyone had to give me feedback but the fact that these people were willing to deny me an opportunity to be able to provide for myself really brings into question the true nature of these organizations too many of these people are comforted by the fact that they are able to control who eats and that is absolutely frightening to me a year after i finally got a job and it just feels like a cycle to be honest these people use these stories of other people to gain access to donor dollars and then they never employ these people and if anyone ever goes against the grain they are blacklisted so about the job i got one of my best friends at the time told me about the job and she thought that it would have been a good idea for us both to submit applications to the to the the organization for this position it took almost forever for someone to be selected and i later found out that there was this girl working behind the scenes because she did not want me to get the job let's call her Samantha <laughs> Important to note, I was doing really well, like well enough to have persons call me from meetings to tell me about how my supervisor was raving about the work I was doing. 
all while Samantha was plotting to get rid of me and to replace me with someone who she later had an argument with right after I was fired. And I think the person was implied afterwards. How did I ended up getting fired? So there were some contracts and Samantha awarded all the contracts to her staff. Now I can understand her wanting to give work to her staff who had been volunteering for years prior and I really wasn't opposed to them getting the contracts even though I thought that they were being awarded, well, being paid handsomely for other jobs that they were doing and I thought that this would have been a useful opportunity for them to provide guidance for unemployed youth who could gain access to some of this reparation money. Yes, donor dollar is a bit of reparation money. What I will say though to young people, and I think this is important, is that a lot of us see persons as our mentors. And there's nothing at all wrong with this. But what you should know is that there are a lot of persons who you're calling who you are calling mentors, who are telling other organizations and people that you do not deserve opportunities. In fact, what was interesting was I saw Samantha tweeting about how organizations need to treat young people with respect. All while telling me that I was insignificant as a person and to this project. I really was not planning on investing so much time on this particular issue but I believe it would be prudent of me to provide as much details as possible when having discussions about these people. So when it was time for the interviews I recused myself from the panel since two of my best friends were being interviewed. Samantha did no such no such thing even though her entire staff was a part of the 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 interviewees on the night of the interview i had asked maybe two questions uh, yes it was two questions one was to a girl who lives outside of the country and it was about whether or not there would be any challenges for her to do the work considering that she would not be close to resources and so resources would not be readily available for her to access the other was about what the other was to another candidate and I was just asking like how would they use the knowledge that they have acquired or skills they have acquired from this particular project to inform the kind of work that they would be doing moving forward and I think it's important to know that before I had started the work we had a week-long training and during the week-long training, we were having discussions about how we know that donor dollars may not be accessible forever. And so we want to create spaces, which is why a major part of it was to employ young people. So these young people could be inspired to continue the work even after the donor dollar was no, there was no more um, fund, funding available to carry on this particular project. 
And so I thought that it was a good question to ask. Samantha thought that it was not a good question. And in fact, the, other, the next day she had sent an email and she addressed the email to both me and my supervisor, but then she addressed my supervisor specifically in the body of the email. And I had responded to the email because at this moment, because she was talking about how the person from the other country decided that they no longer wanted to be a part of the project, which is really interesting to me. Because if you are a part of an organization and you are, you will be working with people, then there's no issue at all. At least I don't believe there's an issue with us like having a conversation about how we, how we will move forward, what we need to do to get to a particular place. And I think it was a useful opportunity for her to provide an explanation as to how she could work remotely and there would not have been an issue. Anyways, Samantha thought that I was a small pop in the conversation and so I should not have said anything and even cautioned me to not respond to this email or to think about responding before responding because she would terminate my contract. Mind you, when the project was in its baby stages, there were conversations about whether or not implementers should be able to monitor the project as well. And so someone had cited that it would have been a conflict of interest to have persons monitor the projects, the, the objectives that they are implementing. And so there was an agreement that the persons who would be implementing would not be monitors as well which was a fear assessment. Which means that I was not working for Samantha. I was working with Samantha. And even in that, even in that situation, I think one thing that I've realized working in a lot of these spaces and not only in CSOs and NGO spaces, but in the workplace in general, is a lot of persons are confused by what it means to be a manager or a supervisor. And so for a lot of us, we believe that as managers and supervisors, we manage and supervise people, but that's not what we do. What we do is we manage and supervise the work being done by people. And so to get back to the story, Samantha had left the email private conversation that we were having and she went on to Twitter. If anyone knows these people that I'm talking about, then you know that this is their particular method of dealing with any conflict. You and them have a conflict and then they take it to social media. And I remember her like posting on social media and I went directly to the the comment the tweet that she had made and expressed my disappointment in her taking a private conversation to public domain and i know some persons would be like why would you highlight that you are the person who she had a conflict with and i think it's important for persons to understand that these people have somewhat of a large platform and it may not only be on social media but a large platform even in the workplace and so it was important for persons to know exactly what was happening and not to only be provided with one side of the story and so the discord the tweets got very heated because she decided that she was going to invite other persons in on the discussion and 
I was not going to allow anyone to malign my name. So I decided that I was going to. In Jamaica, we say go toe for toe. I don't think it's like an English proverb. The next day, she had asked for me to publicly apologize to her, her friends, and the organizations. Because again, I have overstated my value as a person and to the project. I did not apologize, so she told the donors that it's me or her organization. And they agreed that it would be easier for them to find a new person to work with than for them to find a new organization to work with. Is this gatekeeping? So there's so many other instances that I could discuss that highlights how these people are gatekeepers, but I am just going to focus on two and I'm going to try as best as possible to go through them as quickly as possible. And if anyone has any doubt or questions about the validity of these particular instances, then you can definitely reach out to me and I will provide y'all with receipts because I have receipts. Now, there, I was a part of a planning group and we were in charge of planning this regional meeting. And I remember like one of the major focus of the regional meetings was comprehensive sexuality education. And anyone who is familiar with CSE knows that a major component of CSE is bodily autonomy. I can remember having a conversation with the planning committee about us introducing like you know those name cards but they would be like double-sided with two different colors and it could be like white and red or white and green or what have you but two different colored sides and one side would indicate that hey it's okay to take a photo of me and the other would say would suggest that hey I'm not in the mood to take any photos at this moment Everyone said it was a good idea, but then there was no provision made, like no money allotted to this particular thing for us to do. And so we got to the meeting and I remember there being a photographer there who was just taking photos, taking photos, taking photos. And I was speaking now and this person just started to take photos. And I said to them like, hey, you didn't ask if you could be allowed to access my body. And I, I, can, I can just remember how the look on everyone's face, because how we rationalize consent, we, we treat consent as if it's only a discussion about sex, and it's not, it should not be extended to discussions about accessing people's bodies in any way at all. <clears throat> For example, I ask if I can shake a person's hands before shaking it. Like, this is how we should ask for consent and not treat consent as this arbitrary thing that's only related to sex. So I remember like having this discussion and saying to them that, hey, anyone who even supports candid photos, I believe that candid photos are beautiful, supports rape culture. And my thinking is if anyone at all finds beauty in accessing person's bodies without permission then they do then then that person supports rape culture 
and I have a problem with that and so I highlighted that suffice to say I was not invited to any other space to that it could be a, and it could be that they no longer had dollars to fund my attending or it could be that I wasn't contributing enough but I don't know is that a form of gatekeeping the final thing that happened was I had submitted an application for a job and I remember going to the interview and like in hindsight I can see where I did some I did something that was misinterpreted but it wasn't misinterpreted in the way that I thought it was misinterpreted so <laughs> they were using so and this is the thing that I have an issue with you cannot be serving communities and working on projects and still be using anti an antiquated terminologies to define particular phenomenon and so when they were using particular terminologies I'd used air quotes in a bid to highlight that these are no longer acceptable terms but they read it as my not knowing what term what the the correct terms are <laughs> was so interesting <laughs> it really laughable though but I ended up not getting the job and later found out a few weeks ago which is one of the reasons why I decided that maybe it would be a good idea to start this podcast now I found it out a few weeks after that I would have gotten the job had it not been for an email I had sent which highlighted how problematic and aggressive I am as a person. <laughs> so I was like going through my entire email thread trying to figure out what, what email I had sent to these people that would have shown how aggressive I am as a person. And the only email that I could find was an email I'd sent to another organization. I should tell you that these are some UN organizations. Was I was invited to attend a reading of a document and to provide recommendation on the particular document that they had. And I remember that one of the major features or the underlining feature of the document was that persons need to demand the things that they deserve and they should not be afraid to advocate for the stuff that they deserve. And so we had an arrangement for me to get a particular per diem when I got there. I got there, didn't get any money at all, and I had to cover transportation, I had to pay like, uh, what would you call it now? A deposit on the room. I had to pay for luggage because they, they flight that I got was a basic economy so I had to pay for my own luggage I had to cover all these things I had to cover food and stuff like that but I was guided by the amount they had said that I would be given and I had other responsibilities so I'd done my calculations and I know and at this moment I knew how much money to spend and how much of my expenses I would have been able to cover with the money that I was getting I got there and maybe a month or so after, I finally got the money from a UN organization. <laughs> I finally got the money maybe a month after, and it was short a day. And so I highlighted 
to them on the balance sheet because I got access to the balance sheet and I showed them how they were not paying me for one entire day. And I sent the document back to them. And instead of like recognizing that they had made an error, they said that that was the amount that they were going to pay persons and they, they had made an incorrect calculation initially and so they cannot send me back the difference. <laughs> I had sent this, re I had composed this email explaining how I was really upset about them inviting me to participate in a meeting and for me to advocate for what I deserve and then after After highlighting how they had made a mistake, they decided that they were not going to give me any money. And so I'm assuming that this is the email that they had seen and so, well, they saw and they, they decided that they would no longer engage with me or interact with me in any capacity at all, which is why they thought that they would not, it would be best not to give me the work. And that's totally okay. Now, just to be clear as we wrap this up, I am not calling for a halt on donor dollars to these organizations because I really agree that there are a lot of these organizations that are doing the work and doing the work well. What I will do though, what I will do though is ask that these persons who are donating, persons who are giving their money, to do a bit of legwork, investigate where your money is going. In the same way you go to a supermarket and you will shop around and you will not just take, at least I am thinking that you will not just take items from the shelves, you will investigate what's in this, what's in that, and the kinds of benefits that these things offer. If you're buying an appliance, you'd investigate what appliance suits you. I'm suggesting that whenever you're donating money, do this level of research investigate what these people are doing and listen to persons who they serve because the voices of the communities that these people are serving echo the kinds of work these people are doing you will naturally have trolls but you should stop and question the legitimacy or the efficacy of these organizations and the work that they are doing. If everyone or a lot of persons who they are supposed to serve are constantly questioning, constantly arguing about how they are being served by these organizations. So my my charge to everyone now is to joining on the join in on the conversation. Let me know what kinds of experiences you have had with CSOs and NGOs. The good, the bad, the indifferent. And for CSOs and NGOs, I'd really appreciate it if you could let me know like what kinds of mechanisms and best practices you have in place to receive feedbacks and what kinds of yeah, pretty much what kinds of, kinds of best practices can other organizations adapt from you? Because currently what I'm seeing is that there are a lot of organizations with a mission and vision statement on paper and a completely different mission and vision statement in real life. And this is very worrying to me. So guys, please just continue with the conversation. Remember to use the hashtag WBR or WBR 
E1 for this episode specifically and let's continue to have this conversation. I know that there's so much more to say and I may do a second part to this but I'll just see how it works out and remember you can always reach out to me via email with your questions, statements, comments, feedback, suggestions, anything. We appreciate all of it here in this space. Your voice is important and we're trying to amplify your voices because a lot of us, a lot of voices have been muzzled throughout the loudness of this policing by these organizations. And so if you want your voice on my platform, just say something and we'll try as best as possible to amplify your voices and again thank you for joining us we really appreciate you spending your time with us whether it be morning evening afternoon and i really hope that the rest of your day goes extremely well or the day to come goes extremely well thank you again and walk good